You're listening to Oak City Move, a new podcast from 88.1 WKNC, highlighting people doing positive things in Raleigh and beyond. Oak City Move can be heard on air every Friday morning from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. on 88.1 WKNC or online at wknc.org listen. For episodes and more information, go to blog.wknc.org or follow us on SoundCloud at WKNC881. That song you just heard was from the Nile Project. It was called Mulungi Winange. Did I say that right? Perfect. Um, and I am here with Sarah of the Oak City Move. Hi. <laughs> and, and we are going to be speaking with a few guests today. But before we do that, I would like to talk to you about some of the things that we've had going on and if you miss any of our shows you can check us out on wknc.org um it's blog.wknc.org so we post all of our podcasts there for those of you who are new listeners we are the oak city move this is a show that happens every week usually from 9 to 11 but we're starting a little early today uh we are focused on highlighting organizations and individuals who are doing positive things in based in north carolina uh special events that are going on here and artists who empower and inspire. So today, we've got James and Nicholas, and I'm, I don't want to say your last names wrong, so could you say them for me for the first time? I'm Nicholas Sempija. And James Isabelia. And I'm so happy to have you here in the studio today. And we just played the Nile Project because that is where I met James and Nicholas. Uh, we had a Nile Project retreat on Saturday talking about how music relates to the environment and sustainability. So thank you for coming in again. You're welcome. So I know that you are here on the Fulbright Scholarship. Right. And you're here on residency. Could you give us a brief talk about what you're doing for your residencies and for your scholarship? Oh, thank you very much. Um, um, I'm here as a Fulbright Scholar for one year. And um, I'm here to work on a project about music, language, and religious identity, uh, which is part of the fieldwork that I've been doing for the last seven years in Uganda. But uh, I work at Makere University in Uganda, where I teach at the uh, Performing Arts and Music Department. Yeah, I'm an ethnomusicologist by training. Yeah. Yes, I am here in residency. I came uh, in connection with the activities of the Nile Project that have uh, been in NC State yeah. for the last uh, few days. Uh, yes, but I work at uh, Chambogo University in the Department of Performing Arts uh, in Kampala, Uganda. And um, I am trained as a music educator and uh, also a musician. I sometimes perform music. That's awesome. Yes. How did you guys get involved with the Nile Project? Yeah, I have been involved in the Nile Project before. The, actually, at Chambogo University, we hosted um, a, a workshop um, where the Nile Project team came out to meet our students, and I contributed in organizing it, so I was quite familiar with uh, uh, what the Nile Project is all about. That's awesome. How about you? Well, um, 
Uh, when I was coming to NC State, uh, this is one of the events that were to happen during my residency as okay. a Fulbright, and therefore had to get involved, uh, mm-hmm. given the fact that the Nile is part of what happens in Uganda, you know. Yeah, yeah Uganda is one of the Nile countries, and a lot of the highlighted events always involve Uganda. You can listen to most of the tracks that have been recorded, even the opening track to this program mm-hmm. was from Uganda and performed by Ugandans, highlighting yep. its role in the Nile project. So this is how I got involved. So I guess for those um, people that are listening that don't really know what the Nile Project is, can you give us a little bit of a summary um, of you know what the Nile Project does and what kind of work that they aim to do? Um, the Nile Project um, is, I think, in recognition, and um, I want to probably be particular here that uh, <laughs> I am not a spokesman of the yep. Nile Project, but I want to give my understanding it is uh, an initiative that is in recognition of the role that music can play in creating harmony among people mm-hmm. and also communicating important messages. And uh, the Nile as a river, um, because there are 11 countries that benefit from the water of the Nile, there is a potential that uh, it can raise conflict. And... Um, music plays a role in the discussion of the issues of the water of the Nile and therefore can you know raise awareness among different people that benefit from the waters of the Nile and create harmony among them therefore so I think as a music project and also as a way of creating discussion because if you look at for instance the members that are in the Nile project uh, band or the musicians they are from diff- all the different countries and they come together and, you know, work out music which incorporates the different uh, cultural traditions of the countries that are around the Nile. And out of that, you have a discussion, music that is discursive and it is an expression of the fact that different cultures can actually cooperate on an issue that concerns them and this music is a demonstration of that fact. Right, I think he's done it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a celebration generally, or briefly, it's a celebration of the Nile and <clears throat> a spearheading dialogue, you know, a kind of think tank uh, around what happens, what goes on along the Nile River. Yeah. So North Carolina is obviously very far from the Nile, not anywhere mm. near any of the um, countries that you were talking about. Yes. But what uh, what is the impact of having a project like the Nile Project, even though the um, members of the band and the countries that they come from face very different issues than people here in North Carolina do? What's sort of the similarities that people can draw and, um, you know, uh, similar issues that both groups face? Uh, well, the quite a number of them, and I would say, uh, apart from creating awareness, the Nile Project celebrates through music, and you know, music is a unifying factor for all humanity. So, uh, this dialogue <coughs> is mediated through music. While we can agree or disagree, music is one medium where we can uh, just uh, front or express ourselves. And this is one thing. But then there are similar issues that uh, happen along the Nile 
that, that also uh, happened uh, here in, in North Carolina. For example, uh, they're, they're, they're uh, environmentally, um, uh, what we call them, gazetted places that need a lot of caretaking here. And during that workshop where we met with Jan, we, you saw that we were relating what goes on in the Nile and here. And then the activities that many of us are not aware of that are maybe contradict the, you know, these places, the wetlands, the, yeah, a number of these places which we really need to uh, think about, talk, and uh, probably um, sensitize the masses about. Yeah. Yeah. Now, for you personally, when did you get involved with playing music and when did you decide that you wanted to make it such a huge part of your life? Well, uh, for me, I'll talk for me and he'll say, <laughs> yeah, well, from childhood, I think from early primary school, I've been in the school choirs and I've been conducting and uh, leading singing. And then when I went to high school, when I went to secondary school, I began studying music formally, playing a number of instruments like jitter, uh, piano, and then majored on trumpet. And then since then, I've been involved in music. And unlike most music practitioners, I've been practicing both Western and African music. So I've come to learn how to perform on Western instruments and how to do this on many Ugandan instruments. Yeah, both theory and practice. So up to today, I, I still practice. Sure. Yes, um, not very different. When I, when I was a boy, about six years, we had music going on. And there's this event which takes place, I think it was a wedding, if I, quite, I remember quite well. And uh, musicians came out to play near my home. So my father was quite tough. He didn't allow us to go out anyhow. But he, you know, the music pulled us and we slipped out of his hands and went and sat somewhere while trying to watch if he's coming. And so we, you know, I liked these musicians. I don't remember who exactly it was. But then shortly later, I started to go to school and at school there were some of the instruments that we had seen at this wedding and I started to go and stand near the big boys that were playing them. <laughs> along the way I can't tell specifically which moment but early in my life music was all around. Eventually I started to try out with these boys and girls and then also back in the village we could walk and um, by the time I was about 13, I, was also, I had started to master playing some instruments and one or two songs on them. And I go to high school and join school choir. And then we have this specialized training. And I, I love the sound of, you know, my home village music, of the Ndongo, which is probably here you might call that uh, lamellaphone or kalimba, and mbaile, um, the xylophone, here. And so I grew up with uh, that and went on until I started music also at the university, um, performance of it. And later on, I trained as a teacher of music again. So I, you know, I started now to look at some of the music traditions and how they function in our lives. And some of them actually threatened the extinction because of the, you know, changing times and I'm involved in trying to you know, understand why this music is less popular and what 
could be done because to me it is interesting music to listen to. So, yes, that is uh, how I have been moving on to, you know, you know, growing in music circles and enjoying it. I do enjoy listening to it and trying out one or two things. I'm not very, very good though. But <laughs> I love the music around my communities. And um, yes, I tried to play the piano a bit uh, to get a few marks because I am in training. But um, I have much more interest in the Ugandan um, basoga music. So with all these interests and things that you're doing in mind, why, North, why NC State? Why this university? Or are you doing your residencies and coming for your Fulbrights? Oh, that's a very long and interesting story. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I'll just get bits and okay. pieces of it. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, one, uh, we all know that NC State has a music department, the Price Music Center. And there is this guy, Professor Jonathan Kramer, who has been uh, traveling all over the world writing about music. And uh, at some point, I got to know him from another professor, who is at Duke, was my professor for my PhD. That's Paul Berliner. So when he was making one of his voyages around the world, uh, writing his book, What in the World is Music, which is uh, a household name I know here in <laughs> NC State, um, uh, he had to conduct research in Uganda. And why, when he was conducting research, I was also working on some elements of this current research that I'm writing. And so when he came to Uganda, uh, I was honored to to take him around and to guide him during the fieldwork. And this is how we made. So uh, when I was coming for my Fulbright, uh, I had to choose a place where I had someone that I know where I could work on a project and in the same time be within a specific scholarly environment. And, and of course... There was NC State with all this triangle and all the good things, uh, you know, literature and books. And I couldn't opt for anything more here. For me, this is my story. And I have to say it's courtesy of Jonathan Kramer, our interactions, early interactions with him as well in Uganda that uh, really got me here. Yes, I am not very different. Jonathan Kramer came out to Uganda and I'm here in Chambogo University where I teach. And then I'm told about a visiting professor from North Carolina State University. And um, well, he comes out to Chambogo University as a researcher. We had an exchange and discussion. Actually, he talked to my students while he was there very, very well. And then after that, we are out into the field. He's got some interest to you know for his study for the book which he was writing and then we actually went out to the communities and i realized this is a unique person actually uh, you know when he goes out into the field and is like also interested in the issues of the people yeah. in the communities there is this lady we came across that had a problem with her teeth and uh, yeah. was generous <laughs> you know she had a tooth problem toothache for weeks and weeks but she didn't have money to extract the tooth and mm -hmm. so Jonathan comes out and says oh no maybe we need to help this lady as well and he was so generous so that actually touched me and, and I started to find out more you know about where that this very generous man of course we have had many generous gestures but yeah this was at a personal level and then um 
We also met at the International Council for Traditional Music Conference in Shanghai with him and he. Again, we shared a room and talked quite extensively. So I was getting closer to know Jonathan Kramer. And um, so when the Nile Project comes out here, he also, you know, had known about the projects that I'm involved in, like I mentioned earlier, um, of... Um, you know, trying to study and safeguard music traditions of my community. The Ibiguala uh, trumpets of Busoga, the Tenga drums and all that. He had experience of some of them. So um, he actually asked me whether I would, you know, come out and share some of those projects and also talk about my experiences with the music traditions of Uganda and I was more than happy to come out and uh, learn also from what goes on in a, a great institution like the one that I had seen uh, through his personality out there in my country. So um, I was more than happy and then it tied up with the fact that I had uh, met with the uh, Mina and his group in Kampala, we had worked here. They had also come to the university. Yeah. So both, for both sides, I was, um, you know, um, interested to know. Yeah. I, I had known a bit of the Nile Project people, and then I have seen, but specifically Jonathan's initiative to get me to this place. And then, um, well, it has to do with Nile Project that I'm quite familiar with. So that's how I came. And my experience has been very, very... Uh, interesting. I have um, interfaced with the, you know, the scholars here. I've interfaced, um, met students, and so all these experiences are really rich and memorable in my life. So I'm interested to hear um, from you about. So you said that you're looking into why a lot of the folk and traditional music has been kind of dwindling. Uh, so, so what have you found so far? Why do you think that's been happening? Um, back but, in Uganda? Yeah, so the, the research that you've been doing. Well, um, I'm not sure if I am going to, but you can ask me a little bit and I understand some more. But yes, folk music in the communities, I think one of the things is already what I, we have seen demonstrated by the Nile Project. But the communities and music, first of all, back home in Uganda, are inseparable. People use music to live their lives. It speaks to them. They use it to get together. It unites them. It is their voice. They use it to speak. They use it to discuss problems. In Uganda, we have had uh, for some time this uh, challenge of HIV and AIDS. And we have so many women groups that meet up and, um, you know, discuss their issues. You know, um, uh, in our society, the HIV-AIDS problem was, to a reasonable extent, a, lady, you know, a women's issue more than it is a men's issue. So uh, you find so many of these groups and they're performing music um, to speak to the young people, to speak to themselves, encourage themselves, address the issues of stigma, you know, and then it is also business. In a yeah. way, you, they get some money for for what the music that is being made. And Uganda is uh, also challenged with a fast-growing population, with a bigger percentage of youths, and most of them, even after they have uh, 
gone through university, they can hardly find a job and you find some of them are coming to, you know, to make music in order to start uh, their lives. So music is all over the place in the lives of the communities, um, both in the, you know, the rural communities and also the urban communities. It's, it's all over the place. It is in politics, you know, people, you, you, the politicians come out and get heavy, loud sound to accompany <laughs> them to mobilize and rally support, uh, canvas votes. And, um, you know, it's all over the place. It's in conflict resolution. Um, we had uh, more than two decades of insurgency in northern Uganda and coming to terms with the, you know, conditions that have affected the people. For instance, these people come together and they perform music and, uh, you know, look at their lives again and wake up again. I cannot stop to talk about <laughs> music and the societies in the uh, back home in Uganda. Uh, maybe uh, uh, in addition and uh, trying to answer the question that you raised, um, you know, with the advent of urbanization you know, and globalization, uh, many musical practices and other cultural practices are losing their status, they're losing their position in societies. And since people are moving to towns, uh, getting employed out of the country, many of these musical practices tend to get extinct with time. And so uh, communities, it's up to communities to uh, see to it that they are really well kept alive. And we all know the problems in East Africa and Uganda. That is, uh, you know, Uganda doesn't have a lot of money. It's from donors that it has kept most of these traditions going on. And if James was to uh, also mention the source of his funding, you will see that it's from donors. So uh, projects like this from music scholars, are very important to see that these traditions that are really meaningful and very unique because what we are talking about is like traditions that can only be found in Uganda, not anywhere in the world. So they're really very, very important. And and because of the new forces of globalization, we don't think they will survive unless they are documented and maybe studied by scholars. So this is one of the other reasons. Yes, um... I think that is something that I had missed. But um, a number of projects, like I mentioned earlier, which we have done, have been funded by UNESCO, and um, which for which we are grateful. And um, also the Singing Well, Wells, and uh, it's an organization in um, United Kingdom. They have also funded some of the projects, and other partners are also in Kenya. The Ketabul Music. Abu Bila Foundation. And yes, so it has been mainly donations from outside of Uganda um, that a number of these initiatives have been supported. So for each of you, what are some of your favorite musical traditions in Uganda that you've seen so far? Or your favorite instruments, maybe? My, I don't know if I have one or two because it's a long <laughs> list. Or the music traditions have energy to speak to me almost equally. 
but right now i am involved with the bigwala bigwala uh, actually trumpets they are royal music from busoga area where i grew up that is one of my favorite and i am i have a project i'm doing about safeguarding the bigwala with the money from unesco another one is chimasa it is a harp of again soga um another one is entenga entenga uh, a set of 15 drums that are tuned and they they can be used to play songs and this is also royal music from buganda we have also done a project on them with the money from singing wells another one is um, amakondere again that is from buganda makondere are also trumpets like the bigwala but slightly different and uh, another one is um endere endere um they are actually notched flutes they are played in sets and that is also in buganda the set has six flutes of different sizes and the sounds intermingle in and produce such sweet music really i can go on and on and buy the music <laughs> and uh, endongo which i try to play sometimes when i'm at home and alone endongo is uh, like a kalimba it is in that family and embaire is uh, a xylophone the percussion set and you have this uh, set of 12 21 slabs and they play some of the sound sounds like drums you know they dig a pit and play the embaire and you cannot remain on your seat you just have to get up <laughs> and uh, express yourself your, your appreciation of yeah. the music by dancing so th- it's a long list <laughs> So yeah. what are some of the most interesting findings that you've had from your work here? Oh, there's so so many I must <laughs> say. This is one question that I would really love uh you know to talk about all day, but most importantly, uh, I've had a chance to utilize the resources here in the Triangle region. Of course, NC State has a very very rich library and uh nice resources in terms of human resource but <clears throat> the library you know that says uh <clears throat> that this library offers me you know being able to get uh texts from duke and then chapel hill and as well as here and the main library said so this is one of the biggest things that i'm getting you know the media labs these are, are unique things i must agree that do not exist anywhere in africa and such a resource like hunt library is not <laughs> anything that had come across earlier but uh in my work um i'm seeing how unique my work is maybe briefly my work is about religious traditions how these global religious practices intersect with cultural practices in the wake of you know the roman catholic you know vatican to conference and i i i address how uh global religions are adjusting to local cultural practices and how these local cultural practices are also taking up uh you know you know the global religious requirements but i'm seeing that there are more things i didn't know uh from the readings i'm taking from looking at the library since i'm able to access even the latest research in the world 
which I think I'm, I'm, I'm very honored to have here. Yeah. What's something that you most recently read that got you really excited? Something new that you just learned? Recently. Or what's something that you read from here in the libraries that you didn't know before that you found really interesting or really exciting? Oh my God, that's a lot. I mean, <laughs> every day, every day I'm reading. Even yesterday I was reading new stuff. I, I must, when it comes to reading daily, it's part of, you know, the discovery that I'm going on. But most importantly, it's about technology here and how, for example, uh, a number of things are being used. Some of them, of course, I'm not sure whether you discuss them in the American public, but for example, how advanced you can use like DNA to find crime scenes, you know, mm -hmm. that is yeah. very unique. It's not in Africa. We don't do that. And, you know, it's something high tech. <laughs> and then, of course, we were moving down. When I was, when I just come here, I, I was taken to, to Hunt Library to take a tour. And wow, did you see the other robots who were looking at, looking for the books? <laughs> That's very, very unique. You never find it anywhere. So these are... Uh, some of the things that I read about, because when I saw them, I had to go and look <laughs> for them and read more about how they do what they do and understand this. So, uh, very nice. And then we also constantly interact with scholars here, students who have very outstanding projects in the world. Yeah, I, I can't mention there are really many, almost every day. It's one thing I enjoy doing when I meet someone. I'm like, okay, what are you doing? What's it all about? And I find that 80% of what people here are doing are really recent research here. Yeah. So tell us more about this instrument that you brought with us, with you, and uh, I'd love to hear you play some. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, this instrument is uh, Ndongo. Would you like to say that? Ndongo. <laughs> Ndongo. Yes, Ndongo. It is um, one of the lamellophones. Um, it has um, brothers and sisters in Southern Africa where probably uh, the, could be the birthplace of the instrument. But it came down uh, upwards through the Congo into Uganda. And um, it ended up also reaching in my house. So I always use it uh, to keep myself going when maybe I have done lots of work and I need to relax. I just pick on Endongo and my fingers um, help me to um, appreciate Endongo. So I will play a short song and um, it is uh, the voice of uh, a lady telling a lover that you see you loved me so much uh, the day we met and um, I don't want you to make me miss any moment of that love at all. <laughs> Just because it's so cool. Thank you. Um, but yeah, that was really beautiful. Thank you. Um, so you said that the piece sort of had a story behind it for those um, people that are just tuning in. Could you give a little bit more background about, you know, what the song was about um, and things like that? Yes, this song, Wantakireino Luachi Onumia, 
is um, it's a lady's song. She's talking to her lover. You loved me so much. So I don't want you to hurt me at all. Don't hurt me. So it is um, a song about love. And uh, love is a classical matter. So, yes, that's all I can say about the song. Well, thank you so much. Coming up next, we're going to take a small break. This next song, after the break you're going to hear, is from the Singing Wells Project. Could you tell us about the song that you picked out Um, and its relevance? Yes, the we picked up two songs actually. Uh, um, yes, this one is the from the Singing Wells Project one that you picked out. It's oh yes, um, that is a Embire song. It is about education, and uh, this person is saying that if you don't go to school, you feel the pain of not going there when you are an adult. As a young person, you may not actually realize that not going to school is a problem. But when you are an adult and you are trying to figure out how to move on with life and it is too late probably for you to go back to primary school, you feel the pain. <coughs> and this is uh, an occurrence among the rural people in Uganda. So he's actually addressing himself to those people who think, or uh, children actually, who think they should just play around and not go to school. All right. Well, we're going to listen to this song. Uh, this You've been listening to the Oak City Move on 88.1 WKNC. KNC. Sure, I'd like it. I don't know anything about college radio, but I could learn. 88.1. Have you ever heard of All Things Acapella on WKNC 88.1? I think I heard it one time when we were riding through the area, but a Nelly song came on another station, so. No, I don't think I've ever heard. What is acapella? No. No, nah, man. No, nah, not at all. Never. No, I haven't. No. No. How about you? Have you ever heard of All Things Acapella? I have not. Never. Uh, what's that? No, I haven't. I have not. Nope. No. No, but I'd love to learn more. Learn more about all things acapella Sundays from noon to 2 p.m. right here on WKNC 88.1. Programming on 88.1 WKNC is supported by the Poorhouse Music Hall in Raleigh. Each Thursday, the Poorhouse Younger Brother Productions and WKNC present local band, local beer night. Since 2007, local band, local beer has paired North Carolina-based music with North Carolina-brewed beer for a regular Thursday evening hangout. Doors open each Thursday at 8.30 p.m. and music starts at 9.30. More information about local band, local beer, and other Poorhouse shows is at thepoorhousemusichall.com. WKNC would like to thank the Poorhouse for their continued support. On Saturday, April 8th, from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., Triangle Muslim Aid is hosting a health fair. The event is open to the public and will be hosted at Method Community Park on 514 Method Road in Raleigh. Adults and children alike are welcome to seek treatment or information. See TriangleHealthFair.com for more details. We once had a, a discussion about music and he threatened to push me down a flight of stairs. WKNC FM HD1 Raleigh. Kawanya, 
WKNC 88.1 Raleigh. That song you just heard was from the Afrigo band called Akana Ka Kawalia. Did I say that? Right, Akana Ka Kawalia. Perfect. And 
My name is Fionn. My name is Sarah. And we are here for the Oak City Move, which is a weekly show happening on WKNC. We are focused on highlighting the positive movements and organizations in North Carolina who are supporting maybe marginalized communities or educating the public, anything that's going well or doing good in North Carolina. We also like to focus on music and artists who empower, inspire, and are inciting change in our area, and also some awesome events and projects that happen here at NC State. So we are here speaking with um, with some, <clears throat> excuse me, some professors who have been doing their residency here at North Carolina, as well as a Fulbright scholar. We've got Nicholas Sampija and um, James Isabirie, and uh, they've been speaking to us about some of the research that they've been doing, their experiences here at NC State. And we had a live performance earlier. It was beautiful, and we are excited to continue speaking with you. So before we went on the break, we heard a song from the Singing Wells Project. And could you tell us about the song that we just heard? Yeah, um, the one we just had was Akana Ka Kawalia. Uh, this particular version is, is from Afrigo Band, which is one of the best bands in Uganda you can ever find. But the particular song was written and composed by the legendary Ugandan musician Elishama Wamala. He's dead right now. And uh, it's briefly about this girl, Wanyana, who was growing up and she wanted to be a lawyer, you know, inspiring the entire community and talking English. By the time Eli Wamala was growing up, talking English was very, very unique. So she would talk English and the entire village would be amazed at her <laughs> scale. So this is the song Akana Kakawalia. Kawalia is like the father of, of this kid. So Akana Kakawalia means uh, the daughter of Kawalia. Yeah. And so is that is that like a real story, a true story? Or is that uh, like yeah, a... Yeah, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, Kawalia was a friend to Eliwamala. They grew up together as peers and... Wamala knew this girl called Wanyana. Uh, I was fortunate to meet Wamala before, uh, at the time he died, I was working on his autobiography and uh, he told me this was a true story. This girl was growing up and this was a time when education was not common and this one was one of the first girls on the village to, you know, go to law school and inspiring everyone Unlike here, I know you do a big graduation party here, but in Uganda, after the very big ceremony, academic ceremony, every family does a very big party for the, each of the graduates. Why? Because education is unique. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say it's considered as, a, you know, going through school and graduating, you must be fortunate. Not everyone can afford the money, and even if you have the money, it's really hard to get the best professors to get you to the university. So it is celebrated as part of, you know, um, community achievements. But apart from that, it's also uh, a way of inspiring the young ones, you know, trying to tell them, that, please endure this, go through school. It's not easy, but what you reap is very, very important. So... This song was celebrating uh, a very important aspect of society then because uh, this girl, we're talking of Wanyana, was one of the fortunate people who had a goal in mind. They asked her, what do you want to be? 
And in the song, this is the discussion that is going on. What do you want to be? And she said, I want to be a lawyer so that I can have these dialogues with the justices in court. And I'm pretty sure I can talk the right English. I can, you know, represent everyone. And she was very confident. And remember, this is a time when there were gender issues, when ladies were underlooked in most of these African countries. So it was really a very, very important move at the time. And the song remains a, a great hit and keeps on inspiring so many people in society. Now, so you wrote his autobiography, or his biography. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I was working on his autobiography before he died. Unfortunately, um, he died before we could complete it. Did you release it anyway, or was it just something that you put 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 aside? After? Well, uh, there is something that uh, is still going on, and I think the family of the late took over okay. most of this stuff. My contribution, of mm -hmm. course, plus another colleague of mine with whom we're working, uh, were recognized, but the family wanted to take it to another level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and of course, own all these copyrights, you know, the right. issues that involved, but. Uh, he died before we could complete this. But I had most of the interviews, most of the stories, and we had compiled like a frame of how it's going to be run. Yeah. So I'm sure both of you have a lot of very interesting stories. You told one at the at the workshop on Saturday about an instrument, a very rare instrument that you had been looking for. Mm -hmm. um, could you tell that story? The... There was... Iguara, what oh, yes, you call the trumpet, Eviguara. You know, I always use the name Viguala because that is actually the name of the instrument. Um, Viguala is, um, you know, it's an instrument that is made from gourd. And uh, there are two types actually of gourds. There are the long gourds that um, have also a big ending and also moderate short Goods and they are combined together to make one echiguala. And um, in 2005, we had a festival where different music traditions were showcased and echiguala uh, was part of it. And uh, we realized that it was only one group of elderly men that were still playing this music in um, a region of where about two, three million people are. So we decided to ask them, would they be willing to pass on their skills to another generations, uh, another generation? And they were very, very excited. They started now to push for getting young people that could play this Ebiguala. Uh, but uh, the young people were adamant. They want to listen to rap. That is what is on <laughs> radio. They want to listen to... Oh, it's not a problem, really. But uh, it was becoming a problem that this music tradition would disappear from the face of the earth altogether. So um, we wrote a project in 20... First of all, we proposed to UNESCO that they nominated to be included on the list of intangible cultural heritage in need of urgent safeguarding, which was achieved by November 2012. And the following year, we wrote an application for a grant from UNESCO, and we were given $25,000 to do a two-year project uh, to safeguard this music tradition from extinction. 
So since then, we have been training the communities. Of course, the first issue we had was to find uh, the gourds. We looked for the gourds in the communities, and they were no longer grown anywhere within that community. So we went out to different places trying to ask people until eventually we found this one lady who had the gourd kept in her house, and for a very long time she did not even... Uh, you know, know why she kept it. But <laughs> here we are. We paid her money and took it out and got out the seeds, planted and got a first crop of it. Again, we distributed the seeds. So we, we became distributors of seeds of the gourd. And um, um, after that, we now started to buy back the gourds from the communities that had grown them. And we started to train young people how to make these uh, biguala, uh, you know, cutting those different pieces and making them into one piece each. And uh, a set has got five biguala in it. Uh, together with the drums, they are all played together, and then people dance to the music. So we had to also set up biguala communities and work with local leaders to make sure that uh, they follow up these communities and help them to rehearse, encourage them, and so that we really establish um, a sustainable uh, infrastructure uh, for the continuation of this music tradition. And as I talk now, uh, about 100 young people have learned how to play a viguala. And uh, they have now also played at events because to make it viable, we need to do, uh, to make it, uh, you know, to be practiced in the communities and also to open ways of the players getting some money from the performances that they do. So the highlights of uh, what has happened lately, uh, performances of um, this music at the royal uh, functions that the uh, Busoga Kingdom has uh, organized. And one of them was actually on 11th. February this year, where um, Busoga Kingdom you know, uh, celebrates the uniting of the 11 states that make up this kingdom. So the Biguala music was played, and it is always played whenever the king of Busoga comes to meet the people. It is this music which brings him out to meet the people. It is this music which is played at the coronation of the king of Busoga. It is this music which should be played when a king of Soga passes and, uh, you know, during the funeral. So it is very important music, but uh, was on the verge of extinction. And um, this is one of the main projects that we have invested time and resources in with the support of UNESCO. So what are some projects that you have worked on? Um, I know that you're working on your research now. Could yeah. you give us more? I know that it has to do with how music and religion um, are related to culture. Could you give us a bit more of what you've been finding? Okay. Um, um, I've been working with a lot of uh, community groups, especially church choirs in East Africa. I've traveled uh, in Uganda, Kenya, and Tanzania, and visited these uh, church traditions, particularly uh, choirs that uh, sing what we call both 
Western music, as in the hymns we sing in most of these churches, and others also, including some of the traditional melodies into the church, uh, you know, music. And this uh, is not a very simple thing, since historically, uh, traditional music from Africa was not allowed in the churches, you know. It was considered pagan and therefore not supposed to be performed. This is why you see a lot of it really died out and James is trying to work on this big world because it's one of the reasons why people could no longer practice it. It was uh, really uh, uh, declared uh, improper to perform this music. So uh, what happens in this decade, in this age when uh, there is a, a new sense of identity, especially cultural and religious identity, Many of these groups all over the world, for example, the groups I've met in Kenya, the groups I'm seeing in Uganda, and the groups in Rwanda are trying to package themselves uh, a little bit in a different way, whereby they don't want to sing only classical music from Europe. They don't want to sing hymns you know, from England, or what, but they want to, to, to hear something that reflects them, what they call their local sounds and this is how they're coming up with some of these fusions. And for me, uh, I love fusion music because it's something that we can share all over the globe. Anything to do with fusions is a representative, our global or local awareness, you know, not one that celebrates locality, but uh, a little bit more, one that transcends the borders, the continents, and, and, and moves further, communicating to much more people. So... Many of these groups are uh, looking at this as a way to represent themselves and also to celebrate their culture. Because before the advent of, of the missionaries and Christianity and colonialism, this music was performed in society and it had a lot of meaning. Uh, unlike many of the current uh, international musicians, African musicians were not considered professional in the sense that they were not working for money. They were in the community, and it was everyone's role. So uh, everyone had to perform, and everyone had to learn something. In that way, that way, many people did not come out as professional musicians, yet we had really many professionals in the community. So today, it's one way, uh, this kind of fusion that we're having in the churches is one way of resurrecting the talent resurrecting the memories, resurrecting the, the messages, because music was an archive where a lot of information about society, practices, about histories, about language was archived. And if you want this music to get extinct, then you're losing a lot of information. We all know that uh, these were societies that were oral in nature. Not a lot of information was documented in terms of writing, but it was communicated by word of mouth. And that's why you see, when you listen to these songs, uh, they carry a lot of message with them, a lot of message to communicate to many generations, many decades, many centuries of people. And uh, it's very important that they are heard by many, more and more people, so that they don't lose this tradition or the culture. Yeah, and also... For purposes of scholars, uh, this is a source of analysis. Why this message? Where? When was it packaged? Uh, 
And how was it packaged? And of what value is it in our current context? And uh, well, when we talk about composers, we also look at people who are writing new musics. You're going to see, uh, well, when we're uh, talking about these musics that are coming up, many of the fusions being done pick bits and pieces from the old music that we're having. And they're really rich. They're doing well on the world music scene. So, yeah, my project tries to look at how the church is addressing the contemporary concerns of its, uh, uh, its followers. And since I'm an ethnomusicologist, I look at how people are expressing themselves musically, how music holds a central place in what they're doing, represents their culture as well as articulating the religion that they are, uh, they are following. I look at instruments. For example, in most of these churches, you'll see some of these traditional instruments like the tube fiddle or what we call the ndingidi and then tongoli. They're performed alongside the pianos, the organs. Drums are played with these Western instruments. You know, this is a, a, a kind of a celebration of diversity. Okay, and, and for me, this fusion is very important because it unifies all of us. However diverse we are, however different we are, we really find a meeting point and this can start the discussion. It, it can be a source of unity. Yeah, so, but uh, apart from that, I also look at how um, uh, what is being practiced in religion could be termed as a localization, a sense of, 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 of having global requirements. By, by global, I look at uh, elements that uh, communicate all over the world, all over the globe, and then local elements, a way of, of, of one community coming up and um, having its identity embedded within the, this global you know, structures yeah, in, in terms of performance. A lot of things come in, including language. For example, uh, compositions are no longer in one language. They are in a number of languages. It's all about communication and communicating to, you know, uh, multi, all big audiences that mm. really need to be, yeah, to listen to you. So this is part of what I'm doing. And uh, apart from that, I'm also looking at uh, diasporic communities, uh, diaspora, which is uh, a groups of people that are traveling from the motherland. And uh, some of the groups that qualify to be more of exiled communities are the former Randis who lived in Uganda, you know, uh, they returned to their homeland in 1994 during the famous, you know, genocide. But they lived in Uganda, and most of the people I interviewed during this study were, like, uh, born in Uganda. And so telling them to go back to their motherland was, like, strange. They only knew Uganda, and their grandfathers were from Rwanda. So when they went back to Rwanda, they crossed with the Ugandan culture to Rwanda, and they're doing all this music in Rwanda, trying to represent themselves in the new country with musics that are foreign. So I'm looking at uh, these, you know, uh, uh, kind of fusions of music that are neither Ugandan nor Rwandese, but identified with this community, and they're so interesting for the communities I'm studying. Yeah. So... 
when you describe like sort of the fusion and the crossovers of different cultures, um, that kind of makes me think about the Nile Project because it's 11 different countries that um, fall within the category um, of, you know, benefiting from the Nile Basin and things like that. So within the Nile Project's work, like what sort of crossovers have you seen that you found particularly interesting or, um, or even like crossovers, like similarities that you found um, between the different cultures that exist along the Nile? Oh, um, one, and the most important is music. All <laughs> of these cultures have music and, and it's used as a way of expression. Yeah. You're so uh, on stage. Uh, I remember after the main concert on Tuesday, mm-hmm. um, one of these, musicians was uh, asked uh, no somebody asked Mina uh, of the Nile that how do you guys communicate you have different <laughs> languages and Mina said well we just find ourselves doing that through music yeah. so uh, music crosses it's a kind of unifying factor for all these people but apart from that uh, there is an awareness of the Nile an awareness of this unity brought mm-hmm. about by the Nile and when you talk about the Nile, we're talking of a very complicated situation here, yeah. full of, 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 of very many good things, but also challenges in yeah. society. So how are they addressed? Are they going to be addressed when we're uh, far apart, when we're distant? That's not possible. So it's also very important to uh, get closer at a round table we agree on these uh, differences, and maybe this can be a starting point to solve them. You've heard of projects that are going on in Uganda, in, in Sudan, that need approval from Egypt, okay, and they can't move on. Yet these are very important for the people down yeah. there. How do we go about them? Should they go on and then Egypt, all the Egyptians suffer, or should the Egyptians continue enjoying the waters and these people have no development at all? These are, you know... Uh, you know, issues that call for dialogue. But then there is a very strong sense of cultural awareness of all uh, in this region, particularly in the Nile region. Of course, it's all of Africa, but the Nile region finds itself uh, at the helm of this celebration whereby culture and diversity are uh, kind of cherished. Each culture is not merely culture, but a representation of many, many things. I'll just give you an example. When you're talking about the culture of the Basuka, you're talking of their language, you're talking of their music, you're talking of their food, you're talking about their religion, and, and religious practices have their own music. So uh, there is a lot. And, and, and the Nile Project, I think, looks at constants between most of these cultures and celebrates them as a starting point. And of course, traveling. Uh, <laughs> many of the cities you've seen uh, have the Nile, you know, the Nile Project members traveling, okay? Sailing on boats. Yeah. yeah I, I think this is representative of what the Nile offers. It's a great transportation system around. And yeah, who cares? <laughs> yeah. So there are really many, when I start talking, maybe James needs to add something about what is shared in common, but there are really so many things apart from being Africans because, uh, you know, this is an important thing, sharing the same continent, identifying themselves as being Africans coming from the same continent and interconnected by this very 
big nile means there are a lot of things like trade going on religions that are shared historically the nile was uh, a trade route where people used to travel and yeah you know uh distribute their goods but again it is a, a route that provided religious missionaries yeah uh, yeah access to all these other parts within africa so it's really a lot you find that what we call the belief systems that exist along this Nile stretch are similar and modeled on 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 one uh, you know uh, they use a similar model yeah yeah so maybe james do you want to say anything about this nile well i think you have pretty said um <laughs> well i i want to look at what also mina said that uh, actually i have benefited already that all the communities uh, along the Nile have a liar. <laughs> a liar, an instrument which has strings of same length. Mm-hmm. All of them have that instrument. Wow. So um, musically, there is that commonality among all the communities. At least I, I observed that. And um, the way they use their music to express what they want to express is quite similar it is either we are worshiping these gods it is either we are oh god we are you, you know we are performing it as a community and um working on music projects together is really quite common among different communities there can be slight differences but in the overall picture is that music plays a central role. And that's why it is the basis of the Nile Project. Because of the fact that when you go out in Uganda and you want to talk about music, people know what it does in their lives the same way as you would find it in Egypt, as you would find it in Sudan, Ethiopia, Rwanda, everywhere. I kind of mentioned a few things earlier on on this. So I'd like to play another song. What is the one that you have picked out? Uh, okay. Uh, all right. Yeah, that song is called Sechitulege. Uh, and Sechitulege uh, is an instrument from Uganda. Uh, but this is a song played by a band known as the Back Simba Webs. Like I told you, uh, I love fusions. And this is a band that fuses both uh, Ugandan music and Western music. But... Uh, is singing in Luganda, and the message in this song is 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 about, you know, being res- uh, aware of your responsibilities in society, yeah, not doing what you're not supposed to do because there are consequences, yeah. That's basically the yeah, the message. I'll talk more maybe later. <laughs> yeah. WKNC 88.1 Rally. That song that you just heard was from Baxenville Waves. And my name is Fionn. I am here with Sarah. Hello. And we are here for the Oak City Move, which is a show that happens every Friday from 9 to 11. 
And you got a bonus hour today. We started a little bit early, but we've been speaking with James Isabirier and Nicholas Sampija about some of their research and the music and experiences that they've had. They are doing, well, Nicholas is doing a Fulbright Scholar here for the year. And uh, we've got also, James is going to be doing a residency here. And so we've been having some great conversations, but I'm interested in hearing some stories maybe interesting anecdotes or fond memories that you've had from throughout your careers and maybe while you're doing your research? Yes. Um, one of the stories actually um, goes back to my experience with a community that plays uh, a Makondere uh, of Buganda Kingdom. Buganda Kingdom is actually the kingdom from which my country, Uganda, got its name. Um, this kingdom had uh, a lot of influence on its people, and up to now it does. But here is um, an 88-year-old man that used to play the Amakondere in the palace. Um, he has grand grandchildren, and um, highly respectable person in the community. So I come out here and I'm asking, I'm going to um, Kakanzuzi home because I need to find out if he can still remember how to play the Amakondere and things like that. And I am welcomed by his family. I bring out a chair for me to sit and I wait a bit. We are just we was coming back from the garden. So um, he comes back, and then, I, of course, I greet him and um, sit back at the chair. And um, his wife brings out a mat for him to sit on the mat. Then I'm like, hey, what is happening here? <laughs> um, he's my host and he's the, the, the head of the family. And they have given me a chair to sit, and I'm here to talk to him, but he's sitting on a mat. So um, immediately I asked, I said, ah, but, um, and uh, while I was asking, I was actually sitting down on the mat together with him. Then he said, yes, you see, I cannot sit on the chair. And I said, huh? He said, I, ca I don't sit on the chair. Although I have chairs here in my home and my compound, I have both chairs for my guests, but I don't sit on the chair. Then I am like, what? So slowly by slowly, I kept changing to what I want in case, um, you know, he, because I didn't want to lose time on what I want. But I was also interested to find out why does he not sit? Why does he, you know? So he said, I am a Moganda, uh, you know, the, the, the Baganda people, You, when he's alone, he can say, I am a Moganda. And I said, yes, but I have been to homes of people who are Baganda and the, they sit on chairs. <laughs> so what is this you're saying? Then he said, no, I am a Moganda and I respect my king. And I said, yes, but I know even other people do respect their king. And he said, I, can I cannot sit on the chair when my king also sits on 
the throne, which is actually a chair. <laughs> I would be assuming a position equal to his. So I said, really? And he said, yes. So I, but I'm looking at somebody who is 88 years old. I said, so when did you start this? He said, as soon as I started playing in the palace, it was in the 1950s, I stopped to sit on the chair. He hadn't sat in a chair for so many years. years about. And then I asked him, I said, but you go out to visit friends and I suppose they offer you a chair to sit. He said, yes, that is not my home. So I will do it for their sake. But in my heart, I will not be at peace with myself sitting on a chair. <laughs> even So at his home, no chair. And everybody yeah. knows when he comes out, grandchildren, his whatever, everybody in the family will bring for him a mat, wow. and they will sit on the ground. So that really, you know, touched me a lot, and I saw how powerful the you know the beliefs of the communities can be on shaping the way they live. That's so interesting. <laughs> It's interesting too that he didn't make like I feel like if I you know didn't know the end of the story I would think that he made he would make everybody else not sit on chairs too but it was only him like yes. he he didn't you know force his family or anything to to do the same it which is, is interesting it is actually an influence even on the other people in the, his family because mm-hmm. it's so difficult it's so difficult when you see somebody who is a senior actually yeah. much older than you is sitting on and you. You know, yeah. sitting on it. You simply go. <laughs> yeah, you'd be so like, I was oh, actually immediately that happened. Every time I came out to meet him, they would put a chair here. Nobody would sit on it, even <laughs> me. I would sit on the mat. <laughs> because how do I come? And, uh, you know, this is my host. He's a senior person, first senior, and he's seated on the mat. And I'm on the chair. It can't be. I yeah. just go mm-hmm. down to sit on the right. mat. <laughs> so, <laughs> but the chairs are there. It's so amazing. And he's bought them. He said, no, I buy them for my guests. <laughs> and uh, so I want to also to think it's so hard to, um, these chairs will always be there and have very, very little opportunity to be sat on. <laughs> <laughs> Those poor chairs. <laughs> sure. So how about you? Oh, mine uh, have... A number of experiences, but I'll talk of two very interesting memories. And and one is from childhood when I was still young, uh, attending catechism classes. You know, you go and you're trained on uh, the belief system of the church and the dogmas, you know. So one day, uh, we have this kid who is part of the class and uh, since morning, we've been doing a lot of other classes, and this kid is very hungry. <laughs> so in, in in the midst of the mass, feels like I can't go on without eating part of my package that I have. So the kid starts eating in the middle of the mass. And unfortunately or fortunately, this is the time the priest is going to read the gospel, you know. So the, the, the priest starts the gospel like the gospel according to Mark and starts as Jesus was 
moving with his disciples, he realized that they were very tired and needed a rest. So he said to them, so when the priest reaches this point, like, uh, so he said to them, he looks at this kid and the <laughs> kid is eating. So the priest said, so Jesus looks and says to them, you kids stop eating food in the church. <laughs> yeah, this was, it was really. Uh, and this was in front of a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Everyone laughed, you know, in the church. Everyone laughed because how can Jesus say, you kids stop eating food in the church? <laughs> yeah, but the tone he used and, and the context, you know, when you're yeah. reading the gospel is very, very different and, 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 and uh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so that is that was one of them. But then uh, the other one was when I traveled. Uh, uh, when I traveled to Europe, I remember the first time, I had a group of three other people with whom we went. And uh, we, on the second day after arrival, we needed to go to our school because I'd gone to study. And what happens? There are these buses. Since in Uganda we're used to paying when we're on the bus, not buying a ticket afterwards, we just boarded the bus and sat down comfortably, thinking it was the same system that would happen at home. Someone would come over and sell two tickets, and he or she collects money. And when we sat, the bus driver refused to start. He refused to start. And, and this was a very strange place. It was in Bergen in Norway, and he started mumbling a few words, uh, <laughs> inviting us, yes, you people, what are you doing? And we could not understand anything. This was our second day. So he started inviting us, and we realized maybe he's talking to us. So we stood up and went to him, and he started asking a lot of things. I couldn't understand them, of course, but I would guess he was asking us, where are your cards? You have to put in your card. Yeah. And we could not communicate because of oh. this language barrier. And there was one of the senior citizens seated behind the bus driver. And he said something to the bus driver. Can't you see they don't understand the language you're talking to them? <laughs> and uh, this bus driver then uh, turned into English and was like, where are your cards? And she told him, no, we have money we're going to pay. And he told us, this doesn't apply. And for us, it was really, really so strange that you have <laughs> money and you cannot travel. And, of course, later this senior citizen sorted out the situation yeah, for us. Right. But it was very interesting to see two different groups of people communicating different languages <laughs> and not able to, you know, effectively communicate to each other. And uh, it, it opened up my mind to a number of experiences that the world is going through today. And that's why you see I love fusions, because when you <laughs> yeah. know a little bit of that, a little bit of that, maybe you can sort out a conflict that could yeah. cost the this world a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of lives. Yeah. So what is what is an a fusion that you think would be unexpected, maybe in music or like in this situation? Or maybe especially in music, um, that you've encountered some uh, strange fusions that you Okay, uh I'll start with this particular experience that I've just narrated. Uh if there was no one to save the situation and we continued to miscommunicate, like two of us could not communicate. One, we were strange people in this place. We were the only Africans, okay? So we could be arrested because we oh. violated a rule we don't know, okay? But 
by this senior citizen coming to sort out the situation, uh, he had the understanding of both Norwegian and English. And this enabled him to communicate with us and communicate with the bus driver. And at some point, he told the bus driver that you are supposed to know that you have different people coming in this big city so that you do what you, you ably communicate to them. But look at the consequences. Would be arrested, maybe. We could be deported. We could, be, we could lose our positions at our university, which was a very prestigious university. So these are you know, the, the extremes that we would have gotten to. But let's look at uh, fusions in the music. Uh, fusions in the music enrich the sounds. Uh, you, you've just listened to this last piece uh, from the Bach Simba Webs, which was Search uh, to Lege. It's a piece written by a Ugandan musician called Godfrey, Godfrey Lubulwa. And you can hear the drums, the Chiganda traditional drums. They're called Bak Simba. This is where the group gets its name, Bak Simba Waves. But when you listen to these drums, it's not all about listening to them. You understand that the culture has a contribution, a sense of identity that the Baganda will identify with this music. Okay, since it's in Luganda, but they're also using other instruments that imitate. Okay, yeah, and this is a group that performs jazz. And when you talk of jazz, you know well, what we mean. Okay, yeah, yeah we're, we're back to New Orleans. Okay, and all <laughs> this stuff. So it's both an American and a Ugandan thing. So it's a sense of identity uh, for both the Americans and the Ugandans. But uh, on the other hand, it's considered global music because it has crossed boundaries. It has cross borders and, and it encompasses a lot of elements from different cultures. Yeah. So we're coming up on 10 o'clock but before we leave I'd like to hear, you know, what are some things that you're looking forward to maybe in the next couple of weeks? Do you have any plans while you're here that you're excited about? Anything like that? Would you like to start, James? Well, <laughs> I am um, Looking forward to go back to Uganda, <laughs> <laughs> definitely, and um, start from where I, I stopped before I came. So oh. I am also looking forward to share a number of things that I have seen uh, in the uh, NC State, which uh, could be, you know, generate thought uh, on the way we work in, back home in Uganda. So basically, that is probably what I can say for now. How long have you been in the states? Well, I came on seventh. On the seventh March. So okay. A few weeks, maybe two yeah. and a half or so. Okay. And when are you, when are you going back? I'm going on thirtieth. Okay, I so it's coming up. Very it's very early on thirtieth. <laughs> so yes. We've been very excited to have you here, Thank and you. I'm glad that you can make it to the show before you left. Thank leave. You. Yeah. And for you, what are you looking forward to? Uh, well, there are a lot of things. <laughs> uh, uh, fortunately, I've had a chance of teaching a class here in the African diaspora that is still ongoing, a spring class. Mm -hmm. And it has taught me a lot of things yeah. about America and <laughs> the people. It has taught me about the values of diversity because I used to read about diversity and, and talk about diversity uh, theoretically, but uh, I've come to experience diversity and the, you know, the richness of diversity, how important it, it is in society. So 
one of the things, of course, I'm looking forward to is uh, maybe uh, coming to the end of the semester and, and looking forward to the new season, you know. Yeah. We're getting out of the cold and <laughs> I know North Carolina can be very good. I've experienced some nice sunny days here yeah. and I've seen people. When you have these nice sunny days, you see more people, you talk to more people, you mm -hmm. interact and there's so many lively activities I've had a chance of going down to my Mandy Hall, you know, to yeah. watch some of these performances. You know, amazing concerts you've got here, world-class performers, which unfortunately I've never had a chance to see back home. So my experiences here have been filled with more than enough surprises, and I'm looking forward to more surprises during the coming period. And, of course, I've also had a chance of traveling a little bit around uh, the U.S., and looking at how big this place is. Yeah, the other week I was traveling to California and I couldn't get a direct flight. I had to get two flights just <laughs> traveling in one country. Yeah, that doesn't happen in our country. Actually, yeah. you get one flight to cross a number of countries. Yeah. Uh, for example, from uh, my hometown, Kampala, to Nairobi, which is the next country, it's less than an hour. It's something like 30, okay. something, 40 minutes. And... <laughs> Looking at a country where you take a full day and you're traveling to another state, this is amazing. <laughs> and then looking at the differences in the states, it's like you're in one country and then you get to another. Different people, <laughs> different identities, different interests. But, you know, there is one uh, unifying factor, being American. And, and, you know, this sense of Americanness in all of uh, the people. It's really amazing. I, I've loved this sense of nationalism and the way you cherish what you are and what you have. So uh, a lot of surprises I'm expecting <laughs> during the coming period of time. Yeah. And so tell us about what this last song is. Okay. Yes. Um, it's uh, Okay. Uh, that is um, actually uh, a song that is performed. It is a small ensemble. And the leader of that ensemble is a blind man, but he's one of the um, most experienced and probably best composers of the Basoga Society. And he sings about uh, various subjects, you know, problems in the communities, in the family, in leadership, health, and all sorts of things. And um, this one is uh, talking about the challenges still uh, in the community about leadership and about uh, education. And within a song, he can actually um, put together different subjects. And what is powerful about him is that he uses words that have double meaning. Eh? He's talking about uh, uh, something. He will talk about a car to mean something else. He will talk so uh, these double meaning words is uh, something that is quite powerful with the people of his, ge his generation. You're listening to WKNC 88.1. This is the Oak City Move. We've been speaking with James Isabirier and we've been speaking with Nicholas and Pija as well. Thank you all for coming out today. Thank you. WKNC 88.1 Raleigh. That song you just heard was from Body Games. It was called Sunny Day. And before that, we had 
Oak, uh, Oak City Slums with Hello 3 featuring his good friends, Josie and Trandall and some other people. So it's been a great show today so far. Sarah, thoughts? So I wanted to comment on some stuff that's been going down. I meant like about what we've been talking oh, about. Oh, okay. I'm just too <laughs> excited. I'm sorry. I'm also very tired. But yes, no, having the Nile Project here was really cool. Um, Wasn't the Nile Project? people involved with it sorry so, so, i need my so coffee we were, <laughs> need so we coffee. were speaking with james isverie and we were also speaking with nicholas sampija they are so professor um professor sabirie he is here on residency mm-hmm. and we also had uh, nicholas sampija he was here on fulbright, fulbright scholarship, scholarship and he's teaching a course here at nc state as well talking about um what so his course was uh, to do with the diaspora, and it was just kind of um, uh, just kind of related back to the conversation because he um, his class sort of talks about you know um, music and how it and like music history and, and within the diaspora and things like that. Um, and if you missed the earlier part of our show, you can check it out later on the WKNC blog. But we kind of just went over um, you know the impact music has um, on social issues and how music um, just really connects people regardless of where they're from and what their backgrounds are. And what their language is. Yeah. Um, So uh, like I said, like the Nile Project has been here all week. They aren't like main members, but they've been involved with a lot of the work that the Nile Project has been doing here at NC State in the past week. Particularly, there was a retreat uh, last Saturday, I believe, right, Fionn? You went to that? Yes. Uh, last Saturday, there was a retreat hosted by the Nile Project uh, in... in um, Kanchi had this problem last week. She was like, what's another word? And no, maybe it was you. Another word for cahoots. And I was like, it's not another word for cahoots. That was, I wasn't here last week. Oh. I was taking a, t- I was okay. taking a test. It's not another <laughs> it was word not for me. cahoots. Um, but in collaboration with... Yes, there, we go. there you go. Completely different words. Um, <laughs> but in collaboration with the sustainability department here and the music department. So yep. they were talking about some of the issues that go on it, involving water and water resources here in North Carolina and how that relates back to the issues happening along the Nile over in Egypt and how music can transcend those borders and help connect people and educate people. So we talked about environmental justice. We talked about some water issues along the Nile and some of the conflicts happening there. And then we also talked about some water contamination that's happening here in North Carolina as well as the way that it disproportionately affects communities that are often people of color or often people who uh, don't have a lot of money. So that was a very interesting workshop. And the Nile Project is doing a residency here throughout March, I believe. So they've been Mm -hmm. holding all kinds of events. You can check that out on NC State's website. And the the music that we played before this, we had Sylvan Esso, we had Oak City Slums, and we also had Body Games. All those people played come out and show them festival which was last year it's this came about after hb2 and they were raising money with this concert to you know donate to different lgbtq communities and all kinds of things like that so that's an awesome project and it's ongoing so if you want to check that out you can go to come out and show them.com and i thought that was a good fit because during our conversation with um those professors, we 
talked about how music can help address issues and bring communities together. And that's exactly what Come Out and Show Them has been doing. So, Sarah, I know that some things happened yesterday. I wasn't here and I was not involved in them. So if you want to give some background and talk about what has been up in your head today. Okay. So. So, okay. So there's a lot to talk about. UAB, Unions Activities Board, is a group here on campus, you know, um, that does a lot of different things in terms of activities at state. But one of the main things that they do is host um, the Witherspoon Student Cinema. So um, if you're an NC State student, I'm sure you've already heard of this, but if you aren't, the, um, the UAB here at State uh, has sort of a cinema where students can go for free and watch movies on Thursdays and Saturdays, um, you know, just kind of to relax from studying or whatever. Anywho, so yesterday they played a movie called Dear White People. So... Before the movie, the movie took was like shown at around seven fifteen last night. But before the movie um, was screened, they had um, a bunch of signs um, put out with quotes from the movie um, out, uh, by Tally Student Union, including one that said, "Have you ever heard of the Thirteenth Amendment?" And a student took it upon themselves to write on the sign, "Have you ever heard of the Second?" Now. I mean, the Second Amendment is the one that refers to, you know, right to bear arms. So, you know, a lot of people were kind of, you know, not took really that, Took that, that as an implication yeah. uh, or a threat. Yeah. Um, and just in general, a lot of people, you know, noted, um, especially, you know, people, like white people noted that, you know, they felt kind of attacked. Because a lot of people, too, didn't realize that they were quotes from the film. They just thought those were just statements that UAB had put out. But... um felt, you know, kind of quote-unquote attacked or whatever. Um, and so yesterday, they filmed, they, they showed the film, um, and then afterwards there was a panel discussion, and I was able to attend, you know, just kind of, I didn't even realize there was going to be a panel discussion. I thought I was just going there for the movie. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, panel discussion. So they have the panel up there. It was um, student body president-elect, student body vice president-elect, um, there was a professor, somebody from the NC State Library, just a couple of various um, members of the NC State community, both students and faculty, um, all people of color. And so, you know, things kind of started off where they, you know, discussed um, the implications of the film. And the film, just to give a little bit of background, is a satirical piece um, talking about what it's like to be a person of color on a predominantly white campus um, and just sort of what modern day racism looks like, um, especially on a college campus, which is extremely relevant given that NC State is a predominantly white school. Um, but there were a lot of people that came up, quite a few people that came up and, you know, were kind of confused that, you know, like confused by the message of the film. They were saying, you know, well, racism doesn't exist in America today or, you know, um, <clears throat> Uh, white people aren't, you know, uh, disproportionately um, have better, don't, don't have better um, experiences than people of color or black people in America. Um, so I don't know. It's just something I wanted to discuss. And then another point that was brought up on the panel was what the definition of racism is. So racism is really, especially in the United States, really a word that's thrown around a lot. But when you look at what racism means as an academic definition, racism is 
you know, a, it's used to describe a system that is systematically oppressive. So you can't, like, one of the... Um, mm. So really quickly, I do yeah. want to say, if any of you want to join in on the conversation, have comments, questions, concerns, suggestions to make to the show, be it with this conversation or like a song you want played mm -hmm. that has to do with North Carolina and empowerment and inspiration, you can call 919-515-0881 or 919-515-2400. We are also live checking our tweets. It is at Oak City Move. So if you want to add us or anything like that, with comments about any conversations we're having we'd love to see those so keep that in mind but also continue yeah so please yeah come break up my rant i'm just just i just needed to 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 recap what went down so again like like um there was a person on the panel that was explaining you know a person cannot be racist like racism refers to a a system of oppression so you can't say that one white person is racist but you can say systemically typically white america is racist which is i mean it's an undeniable fact this is not to say that every single white person that's out there um has an inherent um inherent need you know to discriminate against people of color or has just that inherited bias but white america as a whole it definitely is um so just Kind of that definition, I think, was really interesting to think about because of the way that the word racist is used. Um, so, Fionn, do you have any thoughts? Well, I know that since our show is focused on solutions, solutions journalism, so presenting the issues and then talking about ways to combat these issues mm -hmm. and things that people are doing in the community, what what do you think are some things we could do to fight against that incident that incident that happened so i think definitely last night while there were a couple of um you know opinions i didn't necessarily agree with or think that were very founded generally as a whole the screening of the movie and the panel discussion was definitely a step in the right direction so props to uab for doing all that because while there might have been people whose opinions i didn't agree with or necessarily understand they still came out there you know to voice their opinions and try to learn something. I mean, I'm assuming that's why they came out. Um, but just sort of having that open panel type dialogue was something that, you know, typically wasn't seen. Like in, in terms of the student cinema, like it's typically you just go watch a movie, get popcorn, and then you go home. Like it's, you don't really have that chance to go to another, take, take your experience to another level and have that platform with which you can express um, your feelings uh, either as like a person of color who's been affected on this campus or as somebody who doesn't really understand but wants to learn more about the um, problems that people of color face on college campuses. So just keeping that conversation up and even like Fionn said earlier, just reaching out to us um, on the show and make using this not, I mean, because this isn't just a platform for and I. This is a platform for anybody um, here on campus that, you know, if you agree with us to, to um, you know, use us as a way to give, give your story and get it out there. Or um, if you don't agree with us, you know, come tell me why. I mean, it's definitely using our student platforms is very important. Um, but yeah, so... Uh, 
I think we've getting some calls here. Um, but yeah, so for those of you just tuning in, we are here with the Oak City Move. Um, we are a show that runs from 9 to 11 every Friday morning. Um, and right now we were discussing uh, last night's um, last night's uh, sort of discussion around the film Dear White People. Uh, the movie centers around um, people of color that, um, that attend a predominantly white college. Um, and sort of the struggles that they face on campus, um, yes. you know, from um, as as an institution, uh, as as white America, you know, kind of, um, you know, just how that inherently affects their experience in college. Um, and so one and one of the incidents that occurred in the movie that was really notable was um, the use of, you know, blackface and really harmful stereotypes at a party that um, took place on campus in this movie. Um, and while nothing to that extreme is happening right now on our campus, um, last year there definitely, there was um, a party that took place in a fraternity that, you know, um, made, made like took, took light of these harmful stereotypes and sort of used them um, for entertainment, which is definitely some a connection that wasn't lost upon. Uh, many of the viewers of the film yesterday. Um, so I think that going from all this, um, it's very important for events like these to occur, for screenings of important films like this, for discussions about important topics like racism on campus or, you know, how um, people of color are, how what their experience is like on a predominantly white uh, college campus. Um, so definitely props to UAB for hosting that. And if you, um, if you agree or disagree with me, uh, feel free to contact us. Or if you have, um, any ideas about any similar events or, um, platforms with which people can have these sorts of discussion, feel free to contact us at 919-515-0881, 919-515-2400, or at our email, oakcitymove at gmail.com. Um, but yeah, so we definitely just want to. Sorry, I we're kind of getting calls right now, so I'm kind of just rambling on my own, uh, which isn't what usually happens. But um, but just knowing, I think that on this campus, though there are definitely many strides to be made, that there are a lot of instances on, on this campus of platforms and places where you can use your voice and if you see something that's going on that you don't agree with or that you think is just a, you know isn't right you know you have the ability to speak out to use platforms like wknc or um, any of our student media platforms or any even just discussion platforms like the one that took place like night took place last night um Take take those take those advantages when they come, and don't be afraid to give your uh, give your voice out there. Um, but yes, um, yeah, just and give me one second. Do you mind if I put your hold right there? So we have a couple of people calling in uh, yeah, to talk about um, to talk about their thoughts on what's been going yeah, on. Um, we're, we're going to um, break so we. Sorry. Um, 
So all right. So yeah. one caller that we had, Anna. Yeah. Sorry, we're like trying to screen calls and talk at the same time. But, yeah. Sorry, um, I'm just rambling, guys. Sorry. So Anna comes from uh, that. She, so she graduated here in '05, okay. and she comes from a multiracial background, and she wanted to give some of her experience. Mm-hmm. That um, so, Sarah, do you want to go to this call right here? Yeah. Sure. Like, sure thing. Okay. Um. So she comes from a background of like a multiracial background and she's had she wanted to share some of the different experiences that she had so she grew up in rural north carolina and she's saying that she had a very different experience coming to state compared to there and it's been 12 you know 12 years since she graduated and she felt that you know racism wasn't as obvious or pervasive on campus as it was where she grew up at that time but the uh the problem of like outwardly aggressive behavior has gotten a lot worse. Maybe these people are feeling more like they need to defend their positions outwardly, even though they, she feels they don't really need to. Because while while the the a group of people who are being outwardly racist, or sorry, Sarah said that we can't have racist people, but prejudiced people, people who are being outwardly prejudiced, are maybe becoming more vocal. And so while they're Swindling and p- more people nowadays are becoming more aware and sensitive of their privilege and becoming less pre- prejudiced. There's maybe a smaller minority who is becoming very vocal, and especially in this political moment. But but at the same time, you know, while we're on campus, there are a lot of people who are becoming more aware and becoming less prejudiced. Um, <clears throat> and so that was from Anna. I hope I recorded all that right, Anna. And um, we also have another person on the phone here that Anna is speaking to. Uh, that sorry, <laughs> what that Sarah is speaking to, and again, you can also tweet things at us that we can read. We are Oak City Move, and we've got an email. It's oakcitymove at gmail dot com. So we'd love to hear from you. And in the meantime, while we're taking calls, I'm gonna play a couple more songs. And so coming up on, well, actually, it's tonight, starting at nine out in Durham and Motorco. There's a show. It's the Runaway Spring Release Show. So Runaway is a clothing company that runs out of Durham. They're awesome. They have some really cool stuff, and they are debuting their spring line today, but they're going to be having performances at Motorco where you can also shop around with their things. So they're, they've got Young Gunna, Pat Jr., Ace Henderson, Wells, Vacay, and a DJ set from Queen Please. So these are all favorites of WKNC. We've had several of them here, and they've played some of our events, so... This first song I'm going to play for you is from Ace Henderson. You are listening to WKNC 88.1. WKNC. That song you are just listening to was called Young Man by Wells featuring Sylvanesso. And before that, there was Finding Forever from Ace Henderson. And both of those people are going to be playing the Runaway Spring Release show tonight at Motorco. So we were taking callers about the conversation we were having earlier. If you're just tuning in, there was an incident yesterday with, so we played Dear White People on campus through the UAB, the movies, they they screen movies every week. And there was a panel afterwards discussing, um, discussing the movie. Uh, and there was some outspoken people there. Uh, and there was also an incident where there were some posters out in Stafford Commons mm-hmm. And one said, have you heard of the 13th Amendment? And this was in a, a, addressing that movie? or So the posters had quotes on them from mm. the movie, but I guess 
like I can understand where where it might not have been clear that those were quotes, like you know, uh, or some people might have thought that those were just statements from UAV, but just to clarify, those were quotes, but um, like from the film. But somebody wrote um, in response to that particular quote about the Thirteenth Amendment. They wrote, "Have you heard of the Second? Um, the Second Amendment, obviously, you know, refers to um, the right to bear arms and things can like you that." You share what the Thirteenth Amendment is too, for people. Thirteenth Amendment, um, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I might might need to brush up my constitution, but that one is emancipation of slavery, if I'm not mistaken, right? Please tell me I'm right. My my yeah, si- it says neither slavery. Okay, nor yes, yeah. my civics teacher would be so proud. Shout out to Melanie, my civics teacher from last year. Anyways, um, but yeah, so um, if you're just tuning in, uh, the film to white people um, just sort of uh, gives a narrative about the experience of people of color, um, especially on predominantly white college campuses, such as NC State. So um, before the break, we were taking calls, and if you want to call in and give in your two cents, you can call at 919-515-0881 or 919-515-2400. You can also tweet at us. It's Oak City Move. But So we had a caller, um, and he's going by Son of Norman. Would you like to? Yeah, so I had a really nice conversation with this guy, and he was essentially saying that even though, you know, people are – like, you know, they're born into this world with different skin colors. At the end of the day, people are just human at the end of the day. You know, people are made up of the same things, um, you know, both physically and on a spiritual level. You know, people have blood and skeletons and all that. And he was saying that the things that separate us aren't by our looks, you know, so being like separating one another by um different classifications such as caucasian black hispanic you know things like that he was saying that those should be invalid and what should separate us are you know our our actions and our ways of thinking um and son norman was also saying that you know that there's this sort of script that's set up for people um based on their um race or heritage and things like that that tries to assume the experience of every single person of a particular race or ethnicity, which most of the time isn't always true. Um, And, you know, the more we buy in sort of to those stereotypical labels that society and the, like, you know, just different outlets have set up for us, we are, you know, just furthermore feeding that, separation and disconnect between different communities um which i thought was a was a really cool perspective and we've had a pretty busy and long show today we had an extra hour this morning start we started at eight we had professors james isabirie and nicholas uh nicholas sempija coming out today to talk about how how their research has affected them and some of the cool things that they've been doing they are doing residencies and a fulbright scholarship here at NC State, but they've both come in from universities in Uganda. So we talked about how music can transcend borders and conflict and language to bring people together. And then after that, we talked about the conflict that has been happening on campus today. Uh, To close out the show, I do want to go over some events that are happening around the Triangle. Tonight we have Fridays on the Lawn, which is a WKNC event trying to bring bands to campus. So it'll be right outside of Witherspoon Student Center where our studio is located. 
and it starts at five. We've got Truth Club and Owen Casey music playing on the lawn, and it should be it's supposed to be like seventy out today, so it should be pretty yeah. beautiful. There's and gonna there's going to be, gonna be there's going to be Lily's Pizza. It's going to be super delicious and fun. And come hang out with us. Yeah, totally love it. Are you going? Are you going, Capion? I have work, so I'm going to be there though. So if you want to come say hi, I'm going to be there. So you can come Sarah talk to me will if you be want. There. Or if you want to come eat at my restaurant, you can do that too. <laughs> we also have Tough Talks coming up. It's kind of like a TED Talks, but for NC State starting. Yes, on Monday at 5.30, it's going to be out at Tally Student Union. So you can check that out. You can go to the NC State UAB website if you want to see that. This year, the theme is Pursuit of Happiness. Another thing going on at State is Here She Dances, which is Mm -hmm. awesome. We recently added a dance minor at NC State, and I know the the coaches have been working really hard to put that together. So we've got to go to the NC State UAB website if you want to see that. This year, the theme is Pursuit of Happiness. Another thing going on at State is Here She Dances, which is mm-hmm. awesome. We recently added a dance minor at NC State, and I know the, oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, the coaches have been working really hard to put that together. So we've got some really neat classes, but this is supported by the Council on the Status of Women and the, De- and the Department of Health and Exercise Studies here. So it's a collaboration of NC State women artists who are inspiring and claiming campus as their own. So it uses all female artists, and it's going to be a trilogy of outdoor dance performances on the 28th and 29th and so that'll start at 6 p.m on the 28th it's going to be out on centennial campus it starts at at engineering building two but then throughout the performance you're going to be walking down the walkway next to the oval and you're going to wind up at hunt library so it's a it's a moving a whole moving thing and they're going to be screening a documentary and discussing with artists and there's going to be a dessert reception at the end of this event. So it sounds really neat, and I'm excited to have so much art going on at NC State. We were talking about this with the professors earlier about mm-hmm. how this is an engineering school, but we have so many different things going yeah. on. Uh, last event that we've got going on on State is a hula hoop workshop happening Woo! on Wednesday. Uh, you can come out with, I think it's the NC State's NC State's Good Club. And oh, they are, yeah. Yeah, never heard of them. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I've started that selfless club. Plug. Self, selfless plug. Uh, it's a shameless plug. Um, Whatever. But you selfless. can oh come come and learn about tricks you can do with your hula hoop. It's meant to relieve stress and get people to come together on campus who might not usually get to know each other. So decorate your own hoop, make it, and then get a lesson with us. And finally, there's the Ignite Creativity Summit happening at VAE Raleigh. It's going to be a, a one and a half days of speakers, workshops, and creative interactions designed to empower and inspire artists, which is what we're into. So there's going to be dancers, musicians, visual artists, all kinds of people there. And the conceptual theme this year is allies. So if you want to check that out, you can look up 2017 Ignite Creativity Summit. And that starts again on the 31st. That's next Friday. Thanks for listening to the Oak City Move. We'd love to have you and have you listening. And uh, you can check out the podcast on blog.wknc.org at any time. So this next song, this last song we've got for you is called SOTB from Pat Jr., who's going to be playing that runaway event tonight. Thanks for listening.